You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Uh, We are continuing in our series, uh, Gospel at the Edges in the Book of Luke. And so we are excited. We're getting close to the end of almost being there a year, so um, that's always exciting. Uh, Our Uh, We're continuing in Luke 18. Uh, Dave preached a little bit uh, last week uh, from the beginning of that, and we'll uh, finish up uh, Luke 18. So it's Luke 18, 18 through 43. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As Jesus grew, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, So uh, Dave, our lead pastor, is on a mission trip uh, to England, uh, as many of you know. And so since he's not here, I can do whatever I want today. (laughs) So... um, there's probably three sermons that could easily preach from this passage. It's a little ridiculous, so I'm going to do my best to try to, um, yeah, 
hopefully do it in a uh, good way, but hopefully not too much, uh, an, an edible way. Um, so the first thing, we're going to dive pretty, pretty quickly into our passage, but the first question I just want you to kind of think about is what are the challenges that you face in following the Lord? Just think for a moment. A couple, couple of things hopefully come to mind. Um, this morning, our passage uh, discusses, or we're going to look at four different challenges that we face in following the Lord. Uh, the first challenge is our idols. The uh, second challenge is suffering. The third challenge is our self-righteousness. Uh, the fourth challenge is perseverance. So we have our idols, suffering, self-righteousness, and perseverance. And so as we get into our text, Jesus helps uh, us understand what it means uh, coming from this ruler who asks, how do we inherit uh, eternal life? Uh, and the ruler wants uh, to be in heaven. I think he, he, he comes to Jesus with this really, um, I think, good heart. He's not malicious. He's not like some of the Pharisees who like try to catch Jesus and some of the things. I think he honestly is coming before Jesus and he's asking, how do I inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus uh, then, um, you know, basically says, well, um, you know the commandments uh, and all those commandments can be summed up through the second half of the Ten Commandments, which are loving uh, your neighbor. Uh, And he says, all of those I have kept uh, since youth. And so, as we think about that, we're like, well, that's really awesome that he has kept those from youth, but is that even possible? Because if we think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he talks about, is Jesus talks about the commandments as if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery. If you have anger in your heart towards your brother, then you have uh, murdered your brother. So I, I think uh, the, the, the ruler is a little bit deceived in thinking that he has kept all of these uh, from a youth. That's not possible. Only that's possible for Jesus, uh, the one that he's talking to, not uh, to the ruler. And so it's interesting um, that we see that he thinks, um, you know, that's, that uh, he's maybe merited uh, or thinks in some way that that's uh, earned him eternal life is through uh, him, quote-unquote, in his mind, keeping um, some of those things. But it's interesting um, that Jesus, in, in another place, to his disciples, John 6, 28 and 29, basically, the disciples ask a similar question. Um, and it says, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And it's fascinating where he's, Jesus is talking about, this ruler is asking, what do I do to inherit our life? And the disciples are asking, what do I do? And then Jesus' answers um, are a little bit different because Jesus says to the disciples, believe in the one whom he has sent. And to, to the ruler, he says, you know, hey, you, these are the commandments, you know. And it's interesting because I think he takes them to the law uh, because the law is where we're found wanting. <laughs> and so he's actually, I think, giving the ruler a second chance when he talks about the, uh, talks about the commandments and if he's followed them, because the, the law points out the sin, that we can't ever actually keep the law. Only person is Jesus. And so it's fascinating to me that Jesus um, brings that up. And really, I think the issue for the ruler was an issue of belief, you know, the Christian life is really not about doing, but believing. Uh, Martin Luther wrote, every sin is a way of breaking the first commandment. 
which we read in our Old Testament reading. Uh, We sin by believing that someone or someone else will satisfy us more than God, just like the ruler did. He believed that having the security, the control, and the power, and the pleasure that comes with wealth was better than giving up his money and coming um, to Jesus. You know, I think we too sometimes can be self-deceived like the ruler. Um, If you listen to Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I think this is why it's so important for us to be in God's word, to be confronted by his truth, because we so easily in our culture, there are so many people that are self-deceived. And I think we fall, it can fall so easily into that. And in the same way, we, we need to be in community and not just community of being around other believers because yes, that is helpful and yes, coming to worship is helpful, but we need to be vulnerable with what's actually going on in our lives with other believers because self-deception um, is sly um, and there's ways that we can be around other believers and not be vulnerable and actually tell what's going on in our hearts um, and that we can still live in that self-deception even being around believers. But when you're vulnerable and you're putting yourself out there with other believers, um, I think it's an opportunity for God to work and to speak truth um, into our hearts. And all throughout the New Testament, there are warnings about people going astray. And I think a part of that is their own self-deception, which is so easy. Um, You know, when we go back to the ruler, and it's interesting because when Jesus finally answers him and basically says, look, we want you to sell all that you have, distribute it to the, to the poor, and then move on. Um, or he said, and then uh, come and follow. Oh, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And so it's funny because Jesus, in the actual answer, when he goes straight to the heart of what's actually going on in the ruler's heart, he actually answers the, the, the ruler's question. Because what he actually says is he said, you will have treasure in heaven, eternal life. And so it's interesting that Jesus actually answers what he wants, and yet the ruler is so um, sad because it's actually the answer that Jesus gives him is not the answer that the ruler actually wants, which I think sometimes is true for us. The answers that Jesus gives us are not always the answers that we want, and so then we have to decide. What do we want to do? Do we want to continue to worship our idols? In this case, the ruler was was wealth, which provided him lots of different things. Or in our life, what what is it that Jesus is asking us um, that we maybe don't want um, to give up? It's interesting because Jesus, and we'll come back to this idea of an idol in a minute, but it's interesting that Jesus, I think, gives a warning to those who are rich then afterwards. He's like, who can can, uh, enter the kingdom of God? If, if If you're wealthy, who can enter the kingdom of God? Before some of you tune me out because you don't think that you're wealthy, um, there's a great thing in the Washington Post maybe a couple of years ago that said, the average U.S. resident estimated that the global median income is about 20000 a year. So everybody in the world, they thought, U.S. citizens thought everybody in the world roughly maybe makes $20,000 a year. In fact, the real answer is about a tenth of that, roughly $2,100 per year. And similarly, Americans typically place themselves in the top 37% of the world's income distribution. However, the vast majority of U.S. residents rank comfortably in the top 10%. And so in speaking even about self-deception, I think some of us uh, can be deceived about our own wealth. Um, And with these statistics being true in one way or another, I think we all need to heed the warnings that Jesus gives uh, for the wealthy. Um, You know, 
the people around Jesus when he says, well, then if the wealthy can't get in, into, in, in, into heaven, then who can? Because in that time, and I think even sometimes in our own minds, the people who are wealthy exhibit God's blessing. Um, and that is kind of an undercurrent of health and wealth gospel. Um, that's not actually true. There's plenty of people in life who are blessed um, by the Lord, but not necessarily um, materially. Um, John Calvin writes on this point, it says, because it is an evil almost common to all who trust in their riches, yet this doctrine is highly useful to all, to the rich that being warned of their danger, they may be on their guard, to the poor that satisfied with their lot, they may not so eagerly desire what would bring more damage than gain. It is true indeed that riches do not in their own nature hinder us from following God. But in the consequence of the depravity of the human mind, it is scarcely possible for those who have a great abundance to avoid being intoxicated with them. That was such a great kind of summation of that truth. And it's at this point that it's never really clearly stated in Scripture, um, but it's understood that this ruler goes away sad, and he doesn't ever, not that we're aware of, come back to Jesus. He made his choice in his wealth, which means he made his choice in not pursuing actual eternal life through faith in Jesus. And I think, I don't know how many times I've read that story, but the real sadness that comes, obviously he's sad because he didn't want to go, but the real sadness is that he doesn't follow God. And his wealth was more important. And I think, um, I think there are so many people who come sincerely to Jesus, wanting to know how to get into eternal life, and yet let something else actually claim their heart and actually um, choose, end up not to following Jesus because they choose to follow uh, something else. And I think about so many people that I know that are good, good people, but won't inherit eternal life because other things are more important to them than their relationship with God. And it's interesting because this kind of uh, part of the passage concludes with the, Jesus, the disciples are like, well, what about us, Jesus? Like, come on. Um, you know, they go and, and, and Jesus basically tells them, if you've given up houses or uh, families or other things, then you will be blessed in this life and in the life to come, which is somewhat of a blessing, I think, for those of us who are following the Lord to know that we're not only getting blessed in this life, but also in the life to come, which I think all of us could see in different ways. Um, but it doesn't always come, like I said, in material blessing. I remember when I was on a mission trip in high school to, to Mexico, Monterey, Mexico, uh, one of the days we were going out and just kind of reading through a script in Spanish um, and had translators to kind of go beyond the script. Um, but we went to the shanty town. And so if you're not familiar, it's like basically people take anything they can possibly think of, whether it's scraps of metal, concrete blocks, rocks, anything that you could add to some kind of structure, and kind of had these seven by seven dirt floors that are just piled up on top of one another, just right on top of each other, that maybe have a wall, maybe have a curtain, something in between them, but, but a whole family. And now we're not talking about a family of like three, we're talking a family of like six, you know, lives in this tiny you know, place. And as we talked to several of them, some of them knew Christ and some of them don't, but the ones who knew Christ were some of the most joyful Christians I've ever met in my entire life. It was absolutely astounding 
um, to me because, you know, God doesn't promise us if we follow him material blessing, but he does promise to bless us. And the joy that was the blessing of these people just still resonates. That was oh, 25 years ago. And I still remember so clearly the joy that these Christians had, and they had nothing materially. But Jesus was enough for them. And I think Jesus reminds us that there's blessing and sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom of God in this life. And what the ruler wanted but refused to embrace is what the disciples are actually receiving, not only in this life and life to them. God has made the seemingly impossible possible for them. And so we've seen how Jesus confronted the ruler's heart, and now we'll see how he confronts our own idols. Um, our first challenge in following the Lord is our own idols. And so nowhere in Scripture, in the law, are we commanded to sell all of our possessions. God might call us to do that. But God's design for the law is to point us for a need for Jesus. And that's, in fact, what I talked about, what Jesus was trying to do with the ruler. Um, you know, it's interesting that when we are sad, it reveals something that we value. Our sadness is proportional to the value that it has for us. So things that we're really attached to, maybe like a parent or um, a child, um, you know, it has significant sadness. Things like, you know, I don't know, teddy bear from third grade, maybe not so much uh, that we're not sad. But if you notice in verse 23, it says that the ruler was very sad and his wealth held a lot of value for him. Are there things in your life that would cause you greater sadness in losing it than it should? What are those places or things in your life that you maybe wouldn't give up if Jesus asks you to? You know, Jesus clearly sees all of us, like he saw the ruler, um, that his idol is money. Um, and Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can't love God fully and serve him wholeheartedly if our heart is divided. The idols of comfort, power, approval of others, reputation, control, and respect divide our heart and affections. How are your idols keeping you from following Jesus and keeping your heart guarded from fully trusting and giving your life over to God? You know, in my own heart, one of the things that I continue to wrestle with and have my whole life is the approval of other people. I constantly either ha get anxious or I get fearful or I get, um, I don't know, angry even because uh, the approval of other people becomes so important to me, more so uh, than lots of other things, more so than entrusting Jesus um, at times. And that is something that God is continually pounding in my heart um, and that's an idol that I continue to pray that God would smash and that he would tear down in my heart, that I would live fully in the midst of trusting him. Um, and I love that sometimes there's things in our heart that we feel like it's impossible, God, I don't know how not to, to, to live this way or how not to respond this way or not to have this attachment to this thing. And yet Jesus notes that God can do the impossible. You know, with man, it's not possible. But with God, he, he can do the impossible. He can change hearts and priorities. God's power and love and grace can yield the change in our hearts. We don't save ourselves or earn God's blessing. God provides it. And in Romans 1, God talks about the power of the gospel 
uh, of being able to, to deal with our sin and change our hearts. So my prayer is for us that we would pray those prayers and that we would let go of the idols that we so cling to and follow Jesus. Our second point uh, goes on, talks about Jesus foretells his suffering. Um, you know, and Jesus um, does that. I don't know about you, but there are so many things. If I knew what was happening in my life before it happened, I, I would have ran the other way. <laughs> and yet Jesus knows exactly what's happening. And he tells like, them specifically that he's going to be flogged, he's going to be spit on, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be killed. Like He knows all these things are happening. And yet, tells the disciples these things. I, I just can't even imagine. You know, but Jesus is fulfilling what was wrote about him in the prophets. And Pastor Dave talked about the Son of Man title, so I'm not going to go into that, that, that Jesus uses about himself a couple weeks ago. But if you miss a Sunday in the series, I really encourage you to go to back to it because there's so many great themes that Luke weaves in and out and that we touch on from week to week. But if you, if you don't hear it, it's a great opportunity to go back and really connect with it, especially over the summer when some of us, of us are traveling. You know, there are so many things that I love about Jesus. How could you not? But one of the things that I love is that Jesus doesn't do anything that he doesn't ask us to do. You know, Jesus suffered for us. And as a great leader and example for us in the midst of our faith, uh, you know, he knows that we're going to suffer for our faith as well. You know, he suffered for doing his Father's will ultimately on our behalf so that we could uh, have an experience a relationship with him. And the truth is that uh, we will also suffer. Our New Testament reading reminds us from 1 Timothy, it's just a great truth that we shouldn't be surprised at fiery trials that come upon us. And our suffering for Christ isn't something that we should be surprised of, but that God uses to test us and to refine us. It's hard when you suffer. I think oftentimes we're so surprised when trials come our way for being a Christian. Like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. But we shouldn't be. You know, we don't even like trials that come from being a human in a fallen world. You know, never mind the ones that come from following Jesus. Um, you know, I remember several years ago, um, Hannah um, uh, and I had a miscarriage because death felt so near to her that she was just absolutely devastated uh, in the midst of her grief. And we live in a world where death currently happens all the time. And we as Christians are not exempt from loss on this earth. You know, a few years later, we did experience incredible amount of suffering for our faith. Um, but it wasn't anything what Jesus went through. And I think Peter in our New Testament reading reminds us to rejoice when we share in Christ's sufferings so that we uh, can rejoice when God's glory is revealed. And I think, how is that possible? How do we get to a place where we can glory in our sufferings? And it's the same way. Jesus re received strength from his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's about to be crucified. You know, he's praying for the Father to, to remove that cup but to also give him strength to suffer for what he is. And I think um, goes on to say that if we're insulted, we're blessed. How does that work? But that's the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. All of these things are true about who our God is. 
And the last verse, which I think sums up that whole passage well, says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If we entrust ourselves to a faithful and awesome God in the midst of our suffering, he will take care of us. You know, Jesus knows where his journey is leading, that he will suffer rejection from his own and rejection from those in the world. And he suffers knowingly and willingly. And he has the courage to continue to press on and suffer according to his Father's will. Do you know where your journey is leading? You know, if you haven't faced suffering for being a believer, face, brace yourself. Don't fear suffering, but use this time to deepen your roots so that when suffering does come, you can stand firm. Continue to persevere in the midst of suffering like Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit and by his grace. Our last uh, kind of two points or challenges, uh, there's, the first one is a challenge within, and then the second one is a challenge outside. And uh, it's really interesting, the contrast in this last with the blind man uh, and um, the rich young ruler. Uh, our passage ends with a blind man who sees <laughs> spiritual reality very clearly. Notice the irony in there. Uh, and he contrasts strongly the rich ruler who had everything and saw nothing. The blind man has nothing but sees well. And so the blind man sitting by the road begging, um, and obviously that was common among that day. If you were blind, you didn't have any way to really work or to be able to make for yourself money. And so they sat on the side of the road beg- begging. Not that dissimilar from some people today who are on busy inter- intersections or busy roads. You'll see that are begging for money or asking for help. Um, and so the blind man is curious about what's going on. He hears this crowd going by, like there's all these people, like what's going on? And they say, Jesus is Nazareth is walking by. And the blind man then calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And by using that title, this blind man is actually professing faith in Christ. The son of David is a messianic term that basically means like, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the savior of Israel and of the world. And so he pours that out. And so there's an incredible element of faith that this blind has has. For him, and it reminds me of what Pastor Dave talked about last week with the parable of the persistent widow. It's because he not only calls out again and again, um, and he persisted until he received help. Nothing would keep this blind man from the one who he knew could help him. And then Jesus asks him a simple question What do you want me to do for you? Doesn't Jesus know? Like, of course he knows. But there must be some value in expressing to God what we want. And I was talking to one uh, person in our congregation this week, and uh, they said about this particular part in the passage, and they said, for me, a simple prayer of what I really want takes guts for me to pray. And I think there's sometimes there's an element in our prayer life that we, we kind of just glaze over things. Like, oh, this is, you know... I, if, if things are going well, you know, you just kind of glaze over our prayer life. We don't really dive deep um, into some things. But then sometimes when things are going really rough, we are ruthlessly honest with God. And I think that's what he wants from us all the time. But I think sometimes we struggle when things are going well of like, God, what do we really want? And I think it's we might be afraid to be honest or it doesn't feel right because it might feel selfish to ask God what we really actually want. I don't know about you, but I really resonate with that. And so what do you want Jesus to do for you today? What do you want him to do in the deepest part of your heart and of your soul? 
you know, I don't know about you, but there have just been so many things probably in the last, I don't know, year, uh, whether it's uh, anger that I have and struggle with or whether it's the approval of others or if it's just um, not being who I want to be. And so, like, I have just been praying earnestly that, like, God, what do I want from you today? I want to be free from these things that... Uh, so hold me back from being fully who I, who I know you want me to be. In the midst of my sin, in the midst of all the ways that I fail, that's what I want. I want to be free from these things. And I think God wants to know that. And so I want you to take, we're going to just take a, not long, but I want you to ask, answer that question to Jesus. What do you really want Jesus to do in the deepest part of your heart and soul? So just take a moment and think through that right now. You probably did not have time to fully engage in that brief moment. Um, of what Jesus, what you really want Jesus to do for you. But I hope that you'll make time later today because Jesus wants to bring healing and wholeness to us that one day we will fully be received in heaven in that way. And we see his response into the blind man. You know, Jesus heals the blind man, and I love it because in the beauty of his response, is he basically says at the same time, see, and that you are saved. Uh, in one word in the Greek. And so it's this beautiful picture of not only God, Jesus, healing him uh, physically, but also healing his soul spiritually. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. And so as we come to the last challenge, um, I, I don't know how many times I've read this story. I've read this story a ton um, in my Christian walk and had never kind of perceived this, but God kind of spoke to me. But um, if you think about this, uh, this dynamic, you have the crowd going by, the blind man asks, you know, hey, what's going on? And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd then says, you know, um, be quiet, shh, you know, rebuked. But then I, the Lord brought to me in mind, I was like, these are people that are following Jesus. Like, this crowd isn't just a crowd of like random people. Like, these are a crowd of, that are actually following Jesus. And so it, it occurred to me, or the Lord brought it to mind, of like, are there times where as a church and as individuals, as believers, that we prevent people from coming to Jesus? Either in our words or our actions or what we do, like, and it just really hit me. And I don't know what the crowd was thinking, you know, maybe in their own, uh, and I can identify with this, my own self-righteousness, thinking, oh, this blind man's not worthy of Jesus' time. Like, come on, like, I've been blessed, but like, he's not. Because as you think about the people in the crowd, like, these are people who have either maybe been healed by Jesus or been blessed by his teaching or blessed in some other way by Jesus. I mean, they're following him for a reason. And so in the same way, like, the challenge that we have in our own maybe self-righteousness or our own ideas of what we think maybe God wants that are so off base is that we actually prevent people who are calling out to Jesus. And that just really um, stirred my heart because you know, the thoughts that come to mind is, aren't we all unworthy when Christ first draws ourselves to him? And weren't we maybe annoying? I mean, maybe the, the guy was just annoying. They were like, be quiet, you're, you're too loud, you know, um, what, before we came to Jesus. You know, but 
why do we sometimes feel the right that we have to, to determine who and what God can do? And I think in the midst of our own self-righteousness and pride, you know, we need to be aware of our sinful tendencies in those ways. And the best way for us to confront our self-righteousness is to repent and be humble of it before God and others. You know, and our last challenge from following Jesus comes from outside is uh, this man, this blind man. You know, he knows who Jesus is. He believes by faith that Jesus can heal him and nothing is stopping him. I mean, I, again, I love the phrase, he cried out all the more. So they're telling him to be quiet and he's like, uh-uh, I know who Jesus is. I am going to Jesus and I, he will hear me because I am not going to let anything defeat me. And so he goes and he says, all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so I think there are times where in our own lives where we let our circumstances or we let other people, um, you know, who are saying, be quiet, you know, stop, um, you'll be fine, you know, prevent us from actually persevering and calling out to Jesus and calling him for mercy. And he was re resolute in his belief that Jesus could help him. And I fear sometimes that we are not. Um, we need to be bold like the blind man when we find ourselves in circumstances like this and call out all the more to Jesus, no matter how it makes other people feel. We need to persevere in coming to Jesus in any and all circumstances. You know, Jesus experiences these challenges and we look to him for strength to persevere. You know, Jesus was tempted to worship other things when Satan brought him in the desert to the, the top of the temple and to turn the bread into stone and all these other things. So he knows what it's like to be tempted to give in to maybe some idols that we struggle with because all of those things on some level would have been tempting to circumvent um, his love of the Father. And so he knows what it's like to be tempted in the midst of giving idols and yet didn't. And what's impossible for man is possible with God, that he can bring healing and freedom from our idols. In the same way, he knew suffering um, like we um, probably won't ever know, any of us. Um, and so if you are suffering this morning, know that Jesus knows what it's like and he's walking beside uh, you, even carrying you through your suffering. You know, when, when Hannah was grieving after our miscarriage, it was such a sweet blessing to know that God knew what it was like to lose his son. And that spoke to Haney in such a beautiful way. And so when we suffer because of sharing the gospel for our faith, the only way that we can endure is by clinging to Jesus. And Jesus knows what it's like to be surrounded by the religious Pharisees who are self-righteous, who care more about themselves than other people, and who thought they were right in their own judgment of who was worthy and who was not. And yet, he lived the perfect life and they didn't give in to that, actually spoke the harshest to them. And Jesus knows on what it's like to call out to his Father for mercy in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. And he knows what it's like um, to need to call out to his Father for mercy. And so we'll have challenges in following the Lord. Um, a lot of you thought of them uh, as I asked that first question. Uh, and probably we'll, we'll have even more in the future. Uh, but how will you respond? Will you run to Jesus, who can rid us of our idols, can sympathize and walk alongside of us in our suffering, help us persevere in the midst of oppression, and give us the mercy that we need and are calling out for? I hope you run to Jesus, because we have nothing else and no one else to hope in. Let's pray.
But God, I'm so um, confronted by so much of your truth in this passage. Uh, Lord, and how often I fall short, and I just thank you that you are an awesome God who can do impossible things, who can change hearts, um, who can rid us of our sin, and who can continue to walk alongside us as we desire to follow you. And so, Lord, would you help us? We are so needy and so desperate for you. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we pray uh, all these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.